This was life-changing for me, but I have a bone to pick with something in these clips. Let's get to it. You've tuned in to When Your Mind Becomes the Scene of the Crime podcast. I'm Dr. Linda F. Williams. I take survivors of abuse and trauma from pain to purpose so that you take back your power, tap into the truth of who you are, and live your best life now. Jamil Hill and her mother recently appeared on the Red Table Talk. And as I watched it, I had epiphanies and some healing occurred. So I thought I would share some of those clips with you. The link is below. Right now, let's introduce Jamil. Jamil's childhood was filled with harsh realities. Her single mother was sexually abused by her uncle, abducted and raped at gunpoint by a stranger, and struggled with her addiction to heroin. So Jamel has written a beautiful and inspiring memoir called Uphill. I want to ask you, when did you realize that things were ugh, not quite right in your family? Because I know for Jada, she knew that young. I knew it yeah. really young. Well, I would say when I was about six years old, and that was where my mother was raped. The fallout from that just kept happening. I just saw my mother falling apart. As a kid, you, you know something is wrong, but you don't know how to put the finger on it. Yeah. And as um, she continued to work through what we know now as PTSD, all I could see was her slipping away. Yeah. And what happens is, as you know, Jada, when you're the child of somebody who's in addiction, is that you absorb so much of that, you enable, you navigate around. And all I could do was be mad about the fact that I couldn't have this normal childhood and yeah. I couldn't really explain to people why. Yeah. And it felt like so much was being taken. How did you see your mom slipping away? A lot of ways. My mother got divorced. Uh, we were evicted from our home in Detroit. We had to live in a very rough neighborhood. I mean, so rough. In fact, the woman who lived next door to her, uh, she got murdered. And so Ooh. my mother already suffering from the PTSD of having been raped, sent her into a spiral. And so one of the harsher incidents is the night my mother showed me what a piece of crack cocaine looked like. And she's dealing with trying to understand the pain that she is in, but at the same time, mother enough to tell me, do not do this ever. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. suffering from something I don't even understand, but I know one thing, I don't want you to trade places with me. Exactly. Right. You know, and so that's when I knew she is not okay. And I don't really know what this is, but I just don't know how she's gonna get out of it or yeah. how we're gonna get out of it. Yeah. Seeing her battle with this addiction and battle with that fear, just yeah. always be present. It was obviously something I was absorbing. And so it made me a bit of a porcupine right. in terms of like, yeah. I did not want to share anything because I was like, man, this vulnerability stuff is costly. Wow. I don't know what to say to that. Uh, the challenge that mothers, addicted mothers, mothers dealing with what she calls PTSD as we move forward into this reaction video, you'll learn why I think it was more CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress syndrome. And what strikes me in that is that her mother, even in her addiction, even in her struggle to deal 
without tools, with the pain that she'd been through. She was trying as best she could to protect her daughter from that. Now, some may say, well, you're going to show her the crack cocaine? Well, the girl already knew her mother was addicted. I'm sure she had seen her mother using the pipe. But again, this was Jamil's mother's best attempt at protecting her daughter. Even if it was no more than you see this, I don't want to see you ever do this. You don't want to wind up like I have. Let's move on. This has been a, a roller coaster, a train wreck at times, and, <laughs> mm -hmm. and we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> so this is good. Right. This is real good. So when you say you're talking, you mean that the, the, the just talking through things, talking? No, talking. Yeah, talking to one another. Uh, <laughs> oh, girl. my goodness. I've like been that. telling her. I said, you need to get some help. Right. When I got you sober. You Yeah. So I said, uh, baby, I think you're angry, and you, you have every right to be angry. I didn't press her because I wanted to give her what my mama never gave me. Gabby, my mama never gave me a chance to be angry. Because mm. it was her brother that sexually abused me yeah. from 4 to 11. Jamel describes her grandmother as a highly functioning alcoholic. When she drank to the point of passing out, her great uncle Edward would often be left in charge of Jamel's mother. My mother told my grandmother about the abuse and my grandmother chose not to believe her. When my mother was 11 or 12 years old, my grandmother invited Edward to come live with them, even though she knew what he'd done. My mother retaliated by running away from home. My grandmother couldn't accept that her own brother had sexually abused her child. She couldn't face that the reason he had access to my mother, the reason his abuse continued for years, was because of her. It was a betrayal that changed the direction of my mother's life. I don't know. I mean, really. Oh, my goodness. You guys look. I watch a lot of true crime videos and when somebody reports a child missing, the first thing that the authorities want to know is, is she a runaway? Is he a runaway? Have they done this before? And even sometimes when they are told that this is out of the ordinary for this individual, they're thinking, a habitual runaway. And what are they running from? See, that's what folks need to be thinking. Any missing child or missing person is heartbreaking. But when you've got a child who consistently runs away from home, they're running from something. It's about more than finding the child and hoping to find that child alive. It's about what the heck has happened to that child. What are they running from in the household? As you see, Jamel's mother ran away from home. Look, you ain't listening to me. 
apparently you want to erase what I went through and you believe your brother over me to the extent that you going to be babysitting me, getting drunk, passing out, and now he has full access to me for years. Oh. Next time you see a situation where you're on the street and you see a child. Now, I'm calling a child anybody under 18. Uh, they may have run away at 15 and now they're 21. If you see people out there on the streets, compassion should call for us to want to know what's the backstory? What happened to them? Instead of looking at them like somebody less than. Let's move on. Yeah. So then I started acting out. Yeah. That's just how the, the trauma started. Right. Yeah. So I just ran away and hung out with the wrong people. So, Denise, what made you actually turn to drugs? I wasn't looking for a buzz, so to speak. I was just looking to get away from myself because mm -hmm. I didn't know how to deal with me. I was insecure. I didn't yeah. like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I felt Yeah. because yeah. I felt inferior Yeah. because my family, they had made me feel this way, you know, with my uncle and stuff. Cause you know, at the family gatherings, they wouldn't, they didn't want me. Yeah. They always made me feel like I was a liar. And so I first experimented with Harold actually at 12 years old and I didn't like anything about me. I didn't like my life. I thought that I was a failure and I actually shouldn't even be on the planet. So Right. So it was your escape. Yeah. yeah. Escape. Jim, and I didn't even know that story. Like, I didn't realize you started experimenting so young. young. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Mom, you turned to drugs at, you were young. Yeah, I was 15. Yeah. See? Mm -hmm. But I always felt just totally uncomfortable in my own skin. Me too. So at 18, I wanted somebody to love me, so I had my daughter. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I wonder what happened to Jada's mother that led her to be on drugs that early. I don't know. Anyway, what 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 just happened was a prime example of how when people molest children when people abuse children, they change the entire trajectory of their lives. The, the, they're going on this path and probably leading down a path of purpose. And then, bam, they're off and running. And Jamil's mother got no support. Nobody believed her. There was nobody protecting her. Nobody she could go to. So she had to try to, as young as she was, again, we talked about how children come through certain developmental levels in order to grow into adulthood and how whatever age they are, when the trauma occurred, their development gets arrested at that stage. Well, when you're a child and don't know how to deal with any of this, you haven't come through enough developmental levels to even be able to reason your way through it, then you're just left to hang, especially if you're not believed. She felt just like had to be a bunch of anger in her and just being completely lost and why don't you believe me why do you keep subjecting me to this and she felt lost so what did she do she ran away if somebody runs away they're gonna run into the arms of the wrong people 
They're going to run into the arms of people who want to exploit them. They're going to run into the arms of some more people that don't care about them. They already don't think well of themselves. So young out there in the world, no backup, lucky to be alive. Let, let's let's move on. One of my outlets, you know, during all this time of tumultuousness was was writing. I kept a journal. Mm-hmm. I vented in this diary a lot. I said some very unflattering things about my mother in it. One day I came home from school and to my complete horror, my mother was sitting at our dining room table reading the pages from my journal. I could see the anger in her face and I knew based off what I'd written in that journal, my punishment was going to be severe. I was humiliated and mortified thinking about all the things that were in that journal. I called her a whore and a drug addict. I had even threatened to beat my mother up. The line I wrote that I will never forget, the very line that triggered her the most, she's lucky she's bigger than me or else I would drop kick her ass. I just come home from school one day and the most frightening thing you can ever imagine is your mother with, with your a, diary, with with your your diary, diary. sitting yeah. right there waiting for you to answer yeah. to what you have done. Oof. And so that did not go well, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Although they can laugh about it now, Jamel writes that what happened that day was anything but funny. My mother didn't see those entries as harmless venting. At some point during our heated argument, my mother began beating my ass. I am not sure where the first blow landed, but it felt as if my mother had four sets of hands. I tried to cover up my face as much as I could. Oh, you think you gonna disrespect me in my house? It didn't take long, but it looked like she fit just about everything I owned into two trash bags. After that, my mother ordered me to get into her car, a beige Chevette, and toss the garbage bags into the back seat. She called me ungrateful as she drove. She also called me a bitch. My mother pulled up in front of a tall building called Harbor Light. It was the rehabilitation center where my biological father had undergone treatment for his alcohol and heroin addiction. The last thing she said before she hopped out the car and went inside was along the lines of, since I'm such a bad parent, your daddy can have you now. After a couple of anxiety-filled hours, for me that is, my mother picked me up I remember thinking that my mother hated me. I wasn't sorry about what I wrote. I needed her to know that her actions were hurting me. She wasn't in this alone. I guess that was my mother's point too. She was all I had, drunk, drugged, or indifferent. Whoa, 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 whoa. So what the heck happened to I want to give her room to be angry? Because nobody gave me that room. What happened to that? See, this is a prime example of how we determine that we're not going to be like somebody else. But then we wound up just like somebody else in some aspect. In that moment where her mother's anger boiled, there were a couple of things going on. First of all, reading that journal. Now, if you go back, or maybe it's in another clip, at some point, uh, Jamil's mother said that because she'd been through so much hell, she wanted a baby because she wanted to have somebody who loved her. And in her mind, the child is unconditional love. I've heard many women who have been abused or hurt say that. 
Now, in the moment where she was reading all of this crap, it had to trigger certain things in her mind of things that she may have heard said to her in the past or the voices that have built up in her head that had her thinking she was less than. And to hear that coming from this child who she had built in her mind would love her unconditionally was a real blow. Oh, you're going to betray me just like everybody else betrayed me. The other thing that was going on in that moment, all the anger that she took out on Jamil from that was anger from everything she'd gone through in the past. It's because this is how it used to work with me. I used to, I get in an argument with my ex-husband or I'd be frustrated with him for some reason. And I would take it and take it and take it until at some point I would get so angry that I would tear up my house, throw things. Now, looking back, I can tell you that that was not just about the situation at hand or the anger at hand, but it was about all the stuff that had built up in me from childhood. I'm glad to say that I don't have those tantrums anymore, but some of that was going on in the moment when Jamil's mother was beating, spanking her like that. Now, you notice that she's, you're going to get out of my house. And so she takes her down there to rehab where her father was, but she goes back and gets her. So in other words, if you don't think I can do no better than here's somebody that just abandoned that, that, that's not been in your life, that you can go to them if I'm so bad. So that was an amazing moment because all the journal was doing was allowing Jamil, just like her mother said she wanted her to have that outlet, allowing her to get that anger out. Journaling is a good thing for any trauma survivor to do because I look back at some of my journals from back in the late 70s and it, everything I wrote poetry wise and everything was just dark, dark, dark. And then when I look at things that I'm writing now, then it looks a lot lighter, a lot more hopeful. So it's it's encouraging to look and see your growth over time. But in that moment, we must have an outlet. We must have an outlet. So be sure to journal as well. Now, what was slapping Jamil's mother in the face was truth. Truth. She already knew how she had let her daughter down. She already had feelings of inadequacy because of her addictions and trying to navigate the trauma so that when that was coming back at her from somebody that she expected of whom she expected unconditional love, it was just too much. Everything blew up in that moment. Let's move on. <laughs> Look at you like, yeah. What are you? And are you I'm, still angry? I am not. Because <laughs> I think so. I mean, well, that's a yeah, lifetime. I, think still angry. I am I not. I am not angry. But it's funny because I started going to therapy because my mother said, I think you're angry and you just don't know you're angry. And maybe you need to see somebody. I'm like, I ain't angry. <laughs> <laughs> what are you 
talking about? So I was like, well, maybe I shall start seeing somebody just right. to see if this is true. And you know what I found out is like that I wasn't angry. It Sometimes was what mothers interpret as anger is just pushback or even wanting you to be respectful of certain boundaries. Right. So it wasn't necessarily anger at all. Like I told you a long time ago, repeatedly, I have forgiven you for everything. I understand you so much more now and knowing more of your story. I always respected and admire you because there are situations and circumstances that you went through and overcame that would have literally broken most people. And the fact that that didn't happen and that you're here with me right now, there's nothing for me to be angry about. Wow. Wow. Has she processed the pain or not? See, this is what, what I got out of this. My daughter has been through a lot because of life choices that I've made. And there have been many times that I've told her, you need to probably go get some kind of therapy, sweetie. And she push back, push back, push back. She'd get in the therapy and then she'd drop it and get in and then drop. So just trust me, if you've been through anything like this, you probably need to get a therapist. Go back to my video about how to choose a therapist if you have CPTSD or childhood trauma, complex post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I'll put that video right here so that you can see what it looks like. But yeah, getting into therapy. Now, I might, she wasn't angry. I don't know why her mother felt it. Yep, I do know why her mother felt it was angry and that's gonna come out in some of the next clips that we go through. But be sure to get into therapy because the challenges that you're gonna face as a result of going through this kind of thing with a, a substance abusing parent or caregiver or uh, some kind of childhood abuse or whatever, it's going to be very important. Let's move on. I realized in my therapeutic sessions that I was sitting on so much grief. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that anger was the safe defense. I also felt so much that I missed, so much that I thought I deserved, you know? And I just had so much grief just about a lost childhood. I think the, what you miss really really was the nurturing. Yeah, just the yeah. nurturing, the protection, nurturing protection, you yeah. know, and having to grow up quick. And yeah. I didn't have a lot of time to think about it in the mix of it. Yeah. Because I was just going. I was like, this is what it is. I'm navigating. I'm just getting through. So by the time I had time to sit and be with it, I was like, right. oh my goodness. I hadn't even realized I had like this, this, this wall of ice around myself. That's, that's a, really good. Yeah, that's perfect. When you said you were sitting on a lot of grief and regret, mm -hmm. I don't know, I want to ask you, don't you think that's the hardest part in journeys like ours is when you realize what I had done to my child, right. it's hard to reconcile that in 2022. Right. It's the only thing that you. can break me. Yeah. Right. You worse, you should have been valued more from me. Right. I do more than own it. I, I, I embrace it because if I don't, it would, it would, it would prove me unworthy of you. I mean, what I stole from you can't be replaced. Right. And that's the hardest part. Do you? And I, I struggle with agree. that. I felt like, you know, hey, that's that's my baby over there, six, seven years old, and her mom's not there. Yeah. And I can't get to her. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
I, I totally. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I totally understand I that you. feeling. And I lived in that guilt for a really, really long time. Yeah, I needed to express that. This is the part of the video that was so eye-opening to me because I can relate to everything these people are saying. And it explains to me that I'm not alone in this. I never forget what I put my children through. And I never for, I never forget to the, the extent that they are honest with me and trust me with their experiences, that my being stuck on stupid is the reason they went through that. They were thrust into households away from me. And it's like she said, you don't forget it and you can't reach them. I couldn't reach my daughter, my son, went to live with my parents, so I wasn't real worried about him, but my daughter was raised in Detroit, and so I prayed hard and worried about her all the time. And it was just so much of an awakening for me to see Jamil's mother and Gammy sharing that shared experience about how you struggle with that even right now today many decades later and it's just like she said my not owning this means that I don't deserve my children I don't de deserve a relationship with them don't deserve to be their mother if I can't own my wrong in this and it just touched my heart because I guess I never realized that, y'all, this is going to sound so weird, but I guess I never realized that I wasn't out here alone. And it kind of normalized the fact that we always talk about it's easier to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves. It helps me to realize that forgiving myself and forgetting what I put my kids through are two different things. If any of you are out there who can relate to what I'm saying, please put it in the comments below. Let me know. Talk to me about it because I feel a special kinship with Jada and Jamil's mothers because I go through that too. And I try not to, every time I feel these things, go back to the kids apologizing again and again and again. But I go through that. And I guess maybe as mothers who didn't really do right by our children, I guess I'll always go through that. I just can relate to the heartbreak of that. Let's go to the next clip. You said something too, Jamel, and Jada says it all the time. Going through this journey has made you who you are and you would never change anything. I disagree with that. Thank you. Yeah. I disagree I with that because yeah. I would not. I know, I know, I know. 
There's no words. If I, if I, if I could not. change anything, I would not want to live this life again that way it is. before her. Yeah. Because she deserves so much. Any exactly. child. Exactly. Any child deserves so much better, and she certainly did. And I understand yeah. that what you went through made you the person that you are, and I get that too, but... Could we have not gotten there a different way? Yes, of course. Who knows what you would have been? I think that we we say that as our own defense mechanism I do too. because I totally we agree. know that there's nothing we can do to change it. Well, I'm so not you say that to make you okay with the life that you've you've lived. But trust me, if we could do it differently, yeah. we would do it differently. I need a minute. I'll be right back. Tune in next time for part two of the Jamil Hill story. Thank you for joining me today on When Your Mind Becomes the Scene of the Crime podcast. Schedule your free breakthrough session now at lindafwilliams.com. That's lindafwilliams.com.